today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It was a uh, rather surreal day watching U.S. politics yesterday. Uh, Donald Trump, against the advice of the uh, Wisconsin governor and the mayor of Kenosha, uh, who both said, stay home, please don't. You're only going to make a bad situation worse if you show up. He showed up at Kenosha. Uh, and at the visit, he came down on the side of law enforcement, uh, blaming domestic terror uh, and anarchists uh, for all the violence that seems to be happening. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, he made absolutely no mention of uh, why these protests are happening across uh, America these days. Sagar Magani reports. The president never said the name of Jacob Blake, the black man whose shooting led to days of protests, instead focusing on violence, which he called anti-American and acts of domestic terror. I think peaceful protesting is fantastic. I think it's great. But by and large, this is not peaceful protest. Saying those not protesting also want change. They want to see law and order. Blaming Democrats for anti-police rhetoric he says lead to violence. The president met with law enforcement and others, but not Blake's family, which was okay with Blake's uncle Justin. We don't have any words for the orange man. All I ask is that um, he keep his disrespect, his foul language far away from our family. Sagar Magani, Washington. I want to bring Ryan Hurl into the conversation. Uh, Mr. Hurl is an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Toronto. Uh, professor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Oh, no problem at all. Thank you for having me. As we uh, watch how this is unfolding over the last little while, there's almost a surreal quality uh, to, to what Trump is doing these days. But we're also, I think, uh, Professor, getting a pretty clear picture of what his, his re-election strategy is. Uh, he was looking for an issue, uh, anything other than COVID, and he seems to have found one. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a perfect analysis. I'm not even sure I have that much more to add. I mean, one way to think about this is that as long as people are reflecting on the way Trump approached the COVID crisis, or perhaps even further, if they're reflecting on the way Trump approached health care or maybe tax cuts for billionaires, almost pick your issue, the Republican Party is going to be in trouble. But historically speaking, if the discussion in the public arena is about law and order, then that's an issue that's going to work for the Republican Party. If the discussion is about law and order, Rudy Giuliani can get elected mayor of New York City. So, yes, this was a campaign act for Trump. He's denied some of the usual outlets that he used from 2016 in terms of holding rallies and so on and so forth. So he definitely wants to take advantage of that. You can condemn it if you want, but politicians exist to get reelected. And even though it's surreal in some ways, I think it also makes strategic sense you know, in times of trouble and crisis, and there have been so many through American history, of course, uh, the, the, the people in that country look to, the, to their president as they, well, I think the phrase they use is the healer-in-chief, Ronald Reagan, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, Barack Obama. I mean, they've all had uh, George Bush after 9-11. They've all had that opportunity to, to, to be the consoler-in-chief. Uh, that's not the guy that got off the plane yesterday. No, I think that's exactly correct. But it, it's very it's very difficult for an individual or a politician to change direction in midstream. Trump had a choice probably at the beginning of his presidency, whether he wanted to be a healer in chief, whether he wanted to try to build bridges between opponents. And I think it's fair to say that that did not happen. And so it's not something that's easy to adopt, uh, you know, in the last legs of your presidential administration when you're the under when you become the underdog and you need to find any kind of issue to, to get an advantage over your political opponent. Now having said that, it's not entirely the fault of President Trump that he was not able to heal the political divisions that exist in the United States. He didn't create them, even if he was able to exploit them to some degree. And certainly the Democratic Party in many cases is not particularly interested in 
helping Trump to become the healer in chief. But certainly in this issue, in terms of this crisis, Trump has taken it as an opportunity to draw battle lines. Um, I will say, though, that on the broader issue of criminal justice, the issue is slightly more complicated. Having just said that the Republican Party is the, you know, the party of law and order, the party that wants to support the police, there is some diversity of opinion within the Republican Party and even within the Trump administration. And they have made some overtures on issues like police reform. And we might also think of Republicans like Rand Paul, who have you know, long been interested in questions of criminal justice. So the issue itself um, is a little bit complicated. But yes, Trump is not it, it, at this stage in the presidential election campaign. It's too late to become healer in chief. You have to try to find a wedge issue, uh, engage your supporters, uh, appeal to people who might be wavering in terms of their partisan loyalty and see if you can eke out a victory. With that in mind, though, and I, 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 get, I get your point. I think it's well taken. Anybody who read Mary Trump's book understands that that's not Donald Trump. He's never been that right. guy. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's never been any empathy as from his father or from him. Uh, and I think that was pretty well you know, explained and, and described, I guess, in, in her book and in some of the subsequent literature that we've read about what went on in the White House and what continues to go on in the White House. But the fact that he has yet to mention, uh, for instance, uh, you know Jacob Blake's name, uh, and mention he had, you know, he talked about law and order, and he talked about the the lawlessness that was going on in Kenosha, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's just, that's feeding the beast. I mean, as a result of that, I mean, you know, the, some of the political statements he's making that that have no basis in fact at all. That Joe Biden, for instance, wants to defund police, and uh, and Biden, of course, has never said that. As a matter of fact, he's he's you know many times said that's just not true. Uh, it, yet. The, the base buys it. I mean, you know, this stuff gets right. repeated on Twitter, on social media, on Fox News, certainly, and it's 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 really satisfying this this hunger that people have just to to uh, just I guess validate everything that Trump says and does. Well, I guess I would say that I think the I see the issue as being a little bit more complicated. It is true that Biden did not come up with the phrase "defund the police." But neither did President Trump. It's not a conspiracy theory that there are elements within the Democratic Party who are essentially out of line with mainstream public opinion on a lot of these questions of policing. I mean, you can see this. I think the Democratic commentariat is starting to realize this. I mean, you can go look at Thomas Friedman's editorial in The New York Times today, where he basically says, look, most Democratic voters have a nuanced position on the question of policing. It's possible to be critical of the abuse of police power, yet still regard defund the police as a not very useful slogan. Uh, But nevertheless, there are reasons why it's possible for Trump to paint the Democratic Party as if they are soft on questions of law and order. I mean, it's, it's there. It's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not pushing this, but it's part of uh, it, it, there's an element of the Democratic Party, perhaps you could say the Democratic Party elite, uh, that is out of that is is out of step with public opinion on this question, and that's why people are concerned about it. I mean, the fact of the matter is, the polls have been shifting over the last month, and it's hard to explain in any other way than to say this has something to do with the riots and the protests that are occurring, and the way in which if we might say that Trump has failed by failing to address the abuses of police power, Democratic elites have failed almost to the same degree in terms of their unwillingness to categorically depend, or excuse me, categorically denounce violent protests. But that's that's been part of the Republican game plan right from the get-go, isn't it? They desperately wanted 
they want to make this the party of Bernie Sanders, not of Joe Biden, and say these are extremists, you know, that that those are the people that are going to dictate policy. And if you elect Joe Biden, you're electing Bernie Sanders. Uh, and, and that's, I'm sure, scares some of the people that are on the extreme right side of that because they feel that, that you know, that's that's not the guy. I mean, you know, Trump was all but cheering for Sanders earlier on in the primaries when it right. looked like Biden was down and out uh, because that's the guy they'd love to have run against. And it, it didn't work out that way. But he's still going to try to brand the Democrats as Bernie Sanders' party and a, an extreme left party. Yeah, I think that I think that is true to, to some degree. Uh, it's not entirely clear to me that um, the Sanders wing of the party is the same as uh, the protesting, uh, you know, anti-police wing of the Democratic Party. Though obviously there's a there's a great deal of overlap. Uh, again, the, the parties in the United States aren't <laughs> aren't uh, well organized organizations, right? So there will always be different factions within a sure. party. And the fact of the matter is, is that the the party of Joe Biden is also the party of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's also the party of, of Bernie Sanders. They're in the mix, right? They're no longer simply uh, the extremes that are uh, the or the strange uncle that's left at home, right, or who doesn't really have a role. Uh, the left wing of the party has made serious inroads. So just as um, it's possible in many cases to criticize the Republican Party for being insufficiently critical of the of nationalists within their midst or uh, racist within their midst, uh, I think it's kind of politically it is fair game to say, look, the Democratic Party is changing, right? This isn't exactly the party of Joe Biden in his heyday. It's not even exactly the president, uh, the party of President Obama. The party is changing and has this radical wing. Uh, I think there's an, enough element of truth to that. It's not the whole truth, but there's an element of truth to that. That it's unsurprising that Trump's making use of it. But, and you're absolutely right. I mean, those, those elements are always going to be there. <clears throat> Excuse me, extreme elements on either side. Uh, because the same thing's happening with the Republican Party, too. I mean, obviously, right. Donald Trump is, is now the party of Donald Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and some of the some of the things he's talked about, some of the policies he's enacted, uh, I, I mean, he makes the Tea Party look like moderate. So the way he's 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 done some of these things, so it's it's a polarization that that we're seeing in in, right. the, in the American politic right now, uh, which can't be healthy for the country. Right. No, I think I think you're exactly correct, and things can spiral out of control uh, very quickly. I think one thing uh, almost as serious as not addressing the family of. Jacob Blake, who was the, the, the man who was shot, almost as serious was the failure to address the question of vigilantism. And I think that's what worries me the most, because I think that that is something that can get very, very bad very, very quickly. I think if the number of people killed uh, were to increase in a vigilante incident, if there could be if there was a racial dimension to it, which could easily happen, I think that suddenly Trump might find himself in a very different position. And I think he might Rather than benefiting from the issue of law and order, people might look at it and say, why weren't you criticizing the radicals on both sides? Well, that ship may have already sailed when you get a 17-year-old that crosses the state line with an an automatic rifle and and shoots two people. He's he's been arrested for it finally, but that's that's kind of the personification of what you were just describing, isn't it? No, absolutely, and I think that uh, this can, I'm not saying that the United States is on this inevitable, you know, roller coaster ride to a utter disaster, but things can spiral out of control very quickly. You know, once people are wandering streets with guns, I mean, you don't know how, you don't know how bad it can get. And so I think that it's not enough. And I think, I actually think Trump might pivot on this issue. I think 
it's possible if you if Trump were smart and you smart enough to get elected president of the United States, he would pivot quickly from emphasizing the law and order issue to emphasizing the issue, the issue of the need for police reform. Uh, in sort of the ways in which uh, police abuses are not something that can simply be accepted. And, of course, seeing that vigilantism is a crime as well, you know, and it's, it's not acceptable for people to take law and order into their own hands. It'll be interesting to see if that happens. Uh, if, if We have finished our final conversation. Joe Biden calls you right after this, Professor, and says, look, at, you know, we're heading into the last 60 days here. How should I handle this? Uh, would your advice be to look at... You know, don't forget about the law and order issue here because that's not going to go away. But focus on COVID, focus on the on the on the the the, the, the economy and the way it's tanked because of this. I mean, the, the, they seem to be scoring a lot of points when they did that. They, they seem they're moving away from that, or at least not giving it the attention they did earlier. Well, I guess I would, I would give this advice to Joe Biden. I mean, this is going way back for maybe some of your listeners, but people talk about the sister soldier moment of President Clinton where without getting into the whole story, he essentially denounced a musician for uh, radical statements uh, back in the 1990s. And I think Joe Biden needs a similar type of moment where he says, look, we don't support these ideas about defunding the police. We support the views of, say, the ordinary African-American voter who is well aware that getting rid of police officers is a utopian dream and that what you need is something like reform and you could say republicans aren't the people to do this successfully they're fanning the flames they don't want to provide real solutions so i think that on this question of law and order uh the democrats need to tack to the center very hard there are some issues where democrats can tack to the left i think the pub i think joe biden would do very well to start again a conversation of health care which isn't really part of the discussion right now there i think the uh, the american public is ready for a more left-wing message but on law and order, I think that he has to repudiate the more radical wing, which has taken up a lot of airspace when there isn't actually a lot of public support for it. We are in COVID. I mean, that's, that's obviously having an impact on the way the campaign is being run. Uh, there will be no rallies, well, aside from the few that uh, the Trump has tried to initiate, of course, in Tulsa and other places. Uh, and and I, I guess we should also acknowledge, I mean, yesterday was a campaign stop. I mean, it was yeah. that, that's basically what he landed for. He was there for a couple of hours. He got the photo op with the police officers and bingo, he was back on the plane again. But who who has the advantage in a, in a, in a, in a campaign like this, Professor, when uh, basically you, you've got to get your message out there, but you can't do it en masse like they could in the past with these huge rallies. Uh, uh, Trump's got a, a huge advantage, of course, as the incumbent. He's got the bully pulpit, and mm-hmm. you know he can he can stand up there in front of the TV cameras every time, a couple of times a day, if he wants, and, and people are going to cover that. Uh, th- does that give him a decided advantage in campaigning? It's such an unusual year. It is it is so so very hard to tell. Um, I think I think it's just because, and certainly in my lifetime, maybe almost in American history, we've never had a, a situation quite like this one. There's just so many ambiguous and cross-cutting uh, signals. I guess I would say, in general, uh, Biden's age combined with his inability to be on the campaign trail, uh, I think that's got to be a disadvantage for uh, for the challenger. And whether it will be enough, I think the problem for Trump is that he has remained focused on mobilizing his base and not reaching out to new voters. And that's not something you can change at the final stage of the election campaign. Um, I, it's, it's hard to know whether um, the campaign dynamics are going to affect things in the end. Perhaps 
given the limits of campaigning, the presidential debates will matter more this year than they usually have. But even there, there's a lot of uncertainty on how Biden is going to perform. The, the, the missing link here, I guess, is those people, that some who voted for Trump last time that uh, were traditionally Democratic voters. A lot of people just did not like Hillary Clinton. We know that. Uh, and other Democrats who just stayed home because they didn't like Hillary Clinton. Uh, we still haven't really determined where those people are and what they're going to do this November, have we? Right. I think that's one. That's that's, again, a question we're not going to know until after the votes are actually tallied up. I think right now it's premature to speculate how people are going to react. Uh, on the one hand, there are a lot of reasons to think that Joe Biden is not the most inspiring candidate, say, comparing him to, say, Barack Obama. But on the other hand, uh, he does not have some of the baggage, some of which is maybe sexism and misogyny that affected uh, Hillary Clinton. So, again, I-, I will be interested to see how that turns out. If I had to guess right now, I would say we're probably looking at a situation where the Democrats are going to be looking back and saying we needed a more charismatic leader to defeat uh, to defeat Trump. In many cases, if you look back over a lot of different election cycles, it tends to be the figure who is able to bring a greater degree of excitement, a greater degree of passion, who is able to win in relatively close electoral cycles. And so the fact of the matter is uh, you might not like Trump. Obviously, a lot of people don't. But he has an element, this charismatic element that appeals to his core supporters in a way that Biden just doesn't have. Biden has a calm demeanor. Biden has experience. There are perhaps people are ready for that and prefer it. But I don't think he has the kind of almost political glamour that Trump has. And I think that that's, that's going to be a problem for, for Biden in the, in the home stretch of this electoral cycle. Professor Ryan Hill, I uh, political science, of course, at University of Toronto. Professor, as always, thank you so much for your perspective on this. Appreciate the time today. Thank you for having me anytime. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.